Welcome to the Apostolic Review, a community of apostolic authors, bloggers, podcasters, and theologians. In today's episode, Dr. Clay Jackson interviews pastor and author L.J. Harry. Pastor Harry is the pastor of the Apostolic Church of Mount Vernon, Ohio. And in today's episode, he and Dr. Jackson discuss his book, Ten Words. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Apostolic Review podcast, where we uh, highlight works uh, mostly by apostolic authors, sometimes by non-apostolic works as well. But we're delighted to have with us today author, speaker, pastor, husband, father, and not in that order, but a Christian, L.J. Harry. L.J., it's wonderful to see you today and to, uh, to be speaking with you. Thank you. It is wonderful to see you be speaking with you, too. I am really looking forward to our conversation. I thought you might be, as uh, I think Robin Johnson has dubbed you the most polite person he's ever met. Um, I don't know how, how often he gets out, but I can concur with him. Uh, you're a very nice man, so I'm sure this is going to be a great conversation. How does, it, <laughs> how does it feel to be the most polite person that Robin knows? I don't know. I I hope I can live up to it. I, uh, Brother Graham Brother Graham said one time, he said, I hope I can live up to half the things people have introduced me as. I feel <laughs> I feel the same way he does in that regard. For those of you who don't know, um, LJ, he's a pastor uh, from Mount Vernon, Ohio, which is uh, close to Columbus, I think north by northeast uh, yes, sir. out there on the west side of town. Um, and your husband to Andrea, father to two uh, lovely daughters, I believe it is. And you guys, uh, you and Andrea just celebrated a milestone anniversary. Is that true? We did, yes, sir. We just celebrated our 22nd wedding anniversary. Today is actually our twenty second, two months, and oh, almost three months. We're t- so yeah. almost twenty two years and three months. So I need to get a, an anniversary card from Hallmark that's twenty two years, three months, which will be on Saturday. Well, you're keeping a wonderful count, and that's uh, very specific. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure that Andrew's impressed that you uh, are, are so, uh, so so delighted to be married to her that you're, you're keeping I the am. Great count. I am indeed. Um, those are, if anyone uh, at this point is unfamiliar with the ministry, one of the things that I, I love about uh, that I love about the way you communicate is you're a linguist and you're a storyteller, um, and that comes through in the book. And the book that we're speaking about today is called Ten Words. Uh, it's by L.J. Harry, and it's an exploration of the Ten Commandments, which most of us have learned in Sunday school or children's ministry. Um, we may be familiar with them. It would be interesting if we did one of those uh, talk show hostings where we put a microphone in everyone's face and, to see how many of them they can recite. But yes. Most of us can get, uh, can get a few at least. And so there's some familiarity there, but I found as I went through the book that you gave uh, a, a fresh approach, and it was uh, it, it it was uh, it was wonderful to to read through that. We'll get to the book in, in just a moment, but I wanted to start with how you communicate as uh, a preacher, which is where I first met you. You were an evangelist at um, a youth meeting or youth conference, youth camp, and um, your style of preaching is a little different than some. <laughs> <laughs> You're unique, sir. <laughs> yes, exactly. Then some of our some of our uh, apostolic speakers, uh, I find, and I find that you um, seem to work from a very prepared sermon format. Um, some some 
uh, speakers are like jazz musicians. They seem to have a general theme and they're riffing on it. Um, right. And you can tell. And it's art. yes. <laughs> um, uh, sure. In that in that analogy, I would put you more in the orchestral arrangement category where you seem to be you know exactly where you're going uh, from sentence to sentence. How did you develop your your speaking style? Um, because I think that plays in your writing style. We, we get to that. But uh, how did you develop your your methodology of preaching or your your approach to oratory or, or rhetoric? What, how did that develop? Was just part of your personality or was there someone that you admired that spoke that way or, or how did that come about? I love that question. So when I was a teenager, we'd have preachers come through our youth camp. And I remember one particular preacher came through and he was what I call a screamer, not in a bad way. Just he was so passionate, red faced, veins bulging. And I, I remember I went into the dining hall restroom and I cried because I knew I would never be like that. It's just not my personality. I wanted to be, I've tried to be, doesn't fit. So I realized the best way to tell a story is through story. And then I started reading books by Max Lucado, Christian author, and he is right. a masterful storyteller. And I thought I would like to be able to tell the gospel and the stories of scripture like he tells them through spoken and written form. So I began to ask myself, what would it look like if I was in that story, if I was in that place? How can I take the listeners or the readers and give them a front row seat to the story that happens in scripture? So they can see it, not just imagine what it might have looked like one day, but almost where they could be there and see it. So that I try to paint the picture with words, whether spoken or written. And that's the primary way and reason I speak the way I do and write the way I do. I find it to be very effective and make no mistake. I um, experience personally um, the anointing and power of the, the word of God and the spirit of God through your presentation as much as anyone at any volume or with any style. And, and obviously God uses different people, uh, yes. males and females with different personalities, different delivery systems. And we even see that in scripture. So it is the question to me as to how that developed. Now you did mention that you try to write, write this way as well. And we, we see that um, in the book, Tim words. I just wanted to ask you, uh, you do a podcast uh, simplify, which is a 52 week devotional series. Um, you've written this book and I'm sure other written works. Um, you've spoken in a lot of, uh, venues, including your home church and then ministry around the world. What's your favorite style of delivering the gospel? Do you prefer the audio with the podcast? Do you prefer the written word? Do you prefer the spoken word? Uh, wh what do you like to do and what comes most naturally to you? What comes most naturally for me is teaching. And this harkens back to my my cry fest in the, the dining hall restroom when I realized <laughs> I was not going to be the Friday night, last night, send them home over the fence kind of preacher. In fact, somebody came up to me one time when I was in college my freshman year and said, I believe God called you to be a teacher. I was insulted. I thought, uh, yes. <laughs> I don't I want to be a teacher. Teachers are boring. I want to be a preacher. But the more I realize, the more I, the more I know me, and I'm around me, <laughs> the more I realize that is what God has called me in to do and gifted me to do. So I taught yesterday. I do a morning midweek and an evening midweek class at our church on Wednesdays. Some of those seniors can't or won't drive at night. So I teach them in the morning, teach this, the other audience who comes at night, namely families and couples. And I love it. 
I love it enough to teach twice in a day. <laughs> that, <laughs> that I love being able to make what seems to be inexplicable or un- understandable, undis- <laughs> understandable, <laughs> understandable. You love it enough to teach twice a day. Just do, do any of your congregants love it enough to come and hear it twice a day? You know what? I had a guy yesterday who came to morning and <laughs> evening, and I thought, wow, man, he, he's going to. He is a slow learner. Or you're That's a right. Teacher. That's some, some, <laughs> or he didn't have a ride home. <laughs> but I, um, I was reading this week, um, uh, rereading, in fact, a, a work by Kevin Giles, Patterns of Ministry Among the the first Christians, um, second edition is published in 2017. So a fairly recent work. I mean, in theology, that's, that's yesterday's news. Uh, but, um, Giles maintains that preaching and teaching in the new Testament were much more the same thing than we make them. Um, and there so are too. those, there are those, uh, including, uh, Kenan, I believe who maintained that of the giftings of Ephesians four eleven in terms of edification giftings that pastor and teacher are, um, close enough that uh, if they're not the same role, they are, they're intimately related. So I, I, I can certainly see that, um, uh, you know, we, we getting the gospel across by, by any means uh, is, is something that God wants us to do. And he calls different people to, to do it in different ways. I, I love what Woodward said that uh, preaching is anointed proclamation and teaching is anointed explanation. So I like that. Of, yeah, yeah, it's like most of what Woodward says. It's, I know, I know, but it's free, and it's free. <laughs> it is free, and it's wonderful. So um, let's talk a little bit about the book. Um, you've, as we've said, done a lot of, um, despite yourself, a lot of evangelizing. Um, and, and <laughs> I keep trying not to, and they still invite me. I don't know why. <laughs> Someone screamed last year, let's get Harry this year. It's easier on you. So, um, you've, and I'm you've shorter done. typically as far as time. <laughs> they, they like that. <laughs> yes. Amen. Amen. The concession stamp people are really that. Um, but, <laughs> what, 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 uh, caused you to want to write this book? Did it arise out of a series or did you say it's just time to do a book? I'm at the age. Right. <laughs> what, 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 uh, made you want to, to, to do a book and why did you choose this particular story of the commandments? It wasn't a midlife crisis or anything. I don't have a red convertible, but it was because I was teaching through the Ten Commandments here in Mount Vernon. And I reached out to our publishing house who publishes our author's works and asked them, can you send me whatever resources you have on the Ten Commandments? And they replied, we don't have a book on the Ten Commandments. So all the books I read were were good. But they were not written from a oneness apostolic perspective. And especially when you get into thou shalt have no other gods before me and to honor and not to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I wanted it from an apostolic oneness perspective. When I found that out, I thought, well, if there's not a book, I reached out to Dr. Johnston, to whom you referred, and asked him, would there be a market for a book? (laughs) And he said, yes. So I started to write. And that's where this one came from. Would to God that all of our apostolic teachers and preachers would find a, <laughs> a missing link in, in our armamentarium and, and, and fill it as you did. Fantastic. So the idea came from a lack. You were looking for resources. You didn't see them. And so you and God co-created um, a resource. Yes, You're sir. busy. You're busy. Um, you, you've got uh, you got three ladies li- living in your house. Uh, yes. Married to lovely Andrea. And then two daughters. You, you pastor. Um, we mentioned the speaking schedule. 
Um, I'm sure you need to sleep sometime. So <laughs> who, who got cheated? How did you find this time? Uh, where did it come from? What was your writing schedule? For those who are wanting to write, yes. did you find a way to write it where you weren't, didn't feel like you were taking time away from the family, et cetera? What, just very practically, schedule-wise, what did you do? Well, first off, I love. I feel like this is the Mutual Admiration Society. I love that question. You're such a good questioner. I love that question. Who got cheated? That's such a good, such a good understanding. Because yeah, if I do it in the evening, my family gets cheated. If I do it during the morning, probably the church is getting cheated because I'm not giving them my attention. Interestingly enough, I am a morning person. But interestingly enough, I woke up at four in the morning without an alarm. Each morning, I was writing ten words. And okay. it was the exact same schedule when I wrote Simplify, the devotionals. Those, those must oh. have been three great days. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it took about two weeks to take what was a series, a teaching series written for the ear and adapt it to more of a storytelling format series in the book written for the eye. And it. Yes, sir. So, well, I it took about two weeks. So did you. Did you record your teaching, transcribe it, and then go to the book? Or did you take your notes and go from your notes for teaching and go to the book? I took my notes. I, I When I teach, even when I teach, I teach manuscript. I write everything out word for word. And I was able to take that, make it into book form, add a few stories to make it, again, more of a storytelling type format as opposed to a didactic or a teaching format. And it seemed to work better to be able to do it that way. But, and when I say two weeks, I mean, I didn't do it two weeks in a row. I basically two weeks of cumulative time. I would write the chapter, send it into the editor, and then I would get some comments and I would write another chapter. So about 14 or so of those mornings, waking up at four and writing, compiling, editing, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, when my book is born, it will be the product of 14 years, not 14 days. <laughs> and so <laughs> congratulations on being advanced. Uh, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, those, those of us, those of us toiling and plotting mediocrity salute you, Secretariat. So <laughs> no, no. Fantastic. Uh, I did all the research and the hard work ahead of time for the yeah, series. For the, for the teaching, of course. Of exactly. Course. exactly. It was more just ad adaptation and so the, the 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 entity of your life who got cheated here was LJ. Uh, you you surrendered yes, some of your rest, but yes, apparently without the alarm. I mean, being spiritualists, we would say that the Lord uh, prepared you for this work and gave you energy and awakened you for it. So that yes, that's fantastic because you didn't you didn't have to to feel that you were indebted to anyone else uh, because of that. I write sometimes early in the morning, frankly, with my house the structure. That is the time that is that is most productive, um, but but sometimes the energy level is is there and sometimes it's not, so it could be a sure a challenge. You um, another question for aspiring authors is sometimes how to choose an editor or a publisher. Your publisher, of course, was uh, Pentecostal Publishing House, and you mentioned the context there and and uh, a phone call or an email ahead of time obviously is is helpful because if if they have ten books as resources. Right. They, they might not be as, as interested. Did you use an editor or did you feel confident enough in your own work that you um, that you moved ahead without an editor? I used an editor. And interestingly enough, I am an editor. I edited District Magazine. I've edited several books for other authors. And yet when I edited my own work, I, I don't understand how the brain works. But when I edited my own work and I sent it into the editor and he sent it back to me, I was mortified how many errors and typos there were. 
that I had looked over each chapter three times and still did not catch. I'm assuming the brain fills in the blanks where there should be a was or there should be a with and it was a witch. My brain changes it knowing what I wanted to say. So it was so very helpful to have an editor. And I must say my editor, Brother Gossard, the book editor at Pentecostal Publishing House, is outstanding. He preserved my voice. I like to use sentence fragments. That's kind of a Lucado type deal. Mm -hmm. The older I get, the less I use. So I'm, I'm sure I'm going toward more of a melancholy approach to writing. But I like to use those kind of things for stylistic impact. And he allowed me to keep a lot of those, even though as a grammarian, he knows, no, nah, that's a no-no. But he allowed my voice to shine through, and, and he did not take away my voice just for the sake of proper grammar. Well, your writing style is conversational. Um, it's accessible. That's one of the things that I enjoyed about the book. Uh, there's some hard-hitting theology here, um, but it's... Um, I don't want to say disguised, but it's 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 packaged in a way that is conversational and, and is accessible for any reader. And so um, anyone at a, at a middle school level and above of reading could benefit from this book. But um, someone who's studied the Decalogue for decades could also benefit. And so I, I that was I well played. I, I, th I find that's uh, essentially, you know, they say in preaching, you should you should be able to relate to, you know, a retired minister who's sitting among the congregation. Or a child, and I think you hit that mark well in in this book. And so, um, I, I, just another recommendation for people because I think they'll find it both accessible and challenging. Any regrets about the writing process, choosing a series, or um, you know, the way that you did it, or, or did it all work out fine? Any, any advice for those who would would want to write? Man, I'm sorry, I. It's one of those things where those who are languishing with a blinking cursor, wondering what to write or how. I wish I could say, oh, yeah, I had so many regrets. I learned this in the process. But no, I really didn't. I I enjoyed the subject matter. So that certainly helped. I understood how relevant it is. And since I am a morning person, that's my most creative time. So I woke up four, worked till about 630, got up, had my devotion. I probably should have had my devotion first. But I wanted to do the work of writing before everybody was up and stirring. And then I couldn't. I just right. wouldn't be able to focus and think. So sorry, Jesus, if I put writing ahead of you. <laughs> but I I did my 4 to 6.30, had my devotion, and then went about the day. It really turned out extremely well. So again, for those languishing and saying, I wish he had some better advice for me, I, I, I do know the reason I chose that was because there was a lack. And I saw that. I had taught it. I enjoyed teaching it. So it was easy to turn it into a book from a series um, Ten Commandments you um, you go through them all I just a few a few phrases that uh, that that I caught to my ear were so phenomenal personally in your life um, are there commandments that you find more challenging than others It's a real question of Very good how did question. writing this and, and exploring the commandments challenge you devotionally? Because I, I think, here's yes. what I think. I, yes. Here's what I think. I think for most of us with a Sunday school pin for attendance, right. or who are working in a department, or who have taught a Bible study, or whatever, I, I think that we think that we are, please pardon the, the, the uh, 
the the plain language that we're above the Ten Commandments, that we're right. beyond the Ten sure. Commandments, that the that Ten Commandments are for baby Christians or, or baby Jewish people, and we are we're above that. We're now into is it uh, you know are we premillennialist or are we right. tribulation and, <laughs> right. and right. Uh, you know who, who was Melchizedek and right. so the, and so Ten Commandments is for babies. When you work through this, I'm going to predict that somewhere along the path, you thought the ten words have something to say to me. Yes, sir. What was that like, and what did the ten words say to you personally? Two of them made a major impact on me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I okay. always thought, growing up, I always thought that meant don't say gosh, God. Obviously, don't say Jesus Christ in a way other than glorifies him. When I learned that really it meant don't carry the name of the Lord thy God in vain or don't live in such a way that you proclaim to be a follower of God, but don't live as if you are, that was more, that was hard, harder hitting to me than I expected it to be. It's, it's it, easy. What, is, what does that mean for Jesus' name, people? Because, you know, we will absolutely, you want to talk about the yellers or the screamers, and uh, I, I'm a card-carrying member of that club from time to time. <laughs> One thing that will certainly get us up and going emotionally is speaking about the name of Jesus because we do love that name as we should. But what does that mean for us as Jesus name people not to take his name or to carry his name in, in vain? Speak about that for a moment. Well, it means to don't carry it to not or don't carry it to nothing. Or in other words, if you call yourself a Jesus name believer, a Jesus follower, you must live as if you are. If you don't live as if you are, you are carrying his name to not, or even worse, you're bringing reproach on his name. So real simple I, my license plate is Pastor LJ, and in Ohio we only have the black back plate. We don't have to have the front plate. But if I if I'm driving and I cut somebody off in traffic because I'm angry or I deserve to be there, then they see that I'm a pastor. I am carrying the name of Jesus in vain. I'm bringing a reproach because I, who should be preferring others and loving others as I love myself, only love myself, and I want what I want. Who cares what you want? So something as simple as road rage or as traffic or just getting upset. Like, I don't know if you can see it on the podcast, but my shirt reads glorify God, make disciples. I wear this shirt all over town. This is our church's mission. Okay. If I'm wearing this shirt and I'm short with the server, wherever we go out to eat, because I feel like they're not giving good service or whatever, I'm taking the name of the Lord, my God in vain. I should be a Jesus follower. I should be kind but instead I'm angry or I'm sarcastic or I'm rude. And so I'm taking his name in vain. That to me was a hard one to hear because it's easy to, to say, I won't say gosh and God and gosh, dag on it or, <laughs> or worse things. Yeah. But it's so much deeper than that. It is really more about what we live and how we live and how we treat others and how we respect and revere God by living that way. That was harder to hear, but I needed to hear this is more about lifestyle than just language. Lifestyle and language. It's really a truth in advertising claim and a character yes. issue. Um, is there also a component of bearing the name of the Lord in vain? You know, Scripture teaches us to, to whatsoever we do to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to ask you a question here. Are we as apostolics prone to... Uh, using the name of Jesus as a talisman, because if we think that we say something in Jesus' name, that that's an extra special thing that will make it happen. 
Um, are we in danger sometimes of, of asking amiss, as Jane said, and, and asking things to consume our own lust, but tagging the name of Jesus on it to make it spiritualized? Is that a way of, of taking the name of the Lord God in vain? I do think so. I think it cheapens the value and the beauty of his name. I, I know, for example, I know somebody who on almost everything, and I get from Colossians 3 that we're supposed to do all we do in the name of the Lord Jesus, but they say it something simple like, oh, come on, this line has to get shorter in Jesus' name. Or, yeah. come on, Phillies, you got to get a hit last night in Jesus' name. Jesus doesn't well, that, care about the Phillies. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> they stole That's right. It didn't work. They still went hitless last night. That's right. Yeah. Hitless in Philly. And the line doesn't get shorter. And the the hot now sign, I'm driving by Krispy Kreme in Jesus' name. Let that sign be on. And it's not yeah. on. That's not yeah. on Jesus. It's on me yeah. for saying, are you serious? You really think? I, I recall being—I I recall being in an airport. It was one of the times that I was most deeply offended in my life. Um, there was a person, uh, there, you know, a long time ago and far away, they used to have cars in airports that they wanted you to buy, and they put them behind velvet ropes. They were fancy cars. Oh and yes, there, I've there seen was that. A, there was a luxury convertible there, and this man crossed the velvet rope, which offended my middle-class sensibilities to start with. And then he sat behind the wheel of this very fancy car and very loudly so that the whole airport in, in that lobby could hear. He cried out, I claim this car by the blood of Jesus. Oh my. And um, in my mind, he took the name of the Lord God in vain. He did not curse, but I, I feel that, you know, but, I, I cringe for every person in terms of their their exposure to Christian witness that day because yes, it was yes. a truth and advertising issue. And I, I thought, you know, I, I don't want to be that way. But your work challenged me to go further, not just with words or claims or thoughts and, you know, so-called prosperity gospel, which is wrong on both counts. Right. And I I, I want to go to I want to go to the character level. So so um, the taking the name of the Lord God in vain. That one, that one hits you a little bit. What else can yes. to you? The, the last one, the last one, thou shalt not covet. I almost thought that would be like a misdemeanor commandment. That would just be <laughs> <laughs> like, if you're going to break that one. <laughs> Don't we all covet? It's capitalism. Come on. Right. <laughs> I thought the, I thought thou shalt not covet would be like an M5. It's a misdemeanor fifth of the fifth degree. You might get probation. Probably not. It's yeah, just, yeah. it's a slap. Interestingly enough, when I studied that one, it seemed like covetousness could be found in all the other commandments. Okay. If if I committed adultery, it's because I wanted somebody else's wife. If I stole, stealing, I wanted their stuff. Stealing. If I if I killed somebody, I wanted their life or I wanted whatever they had. Even yeah. if I was to set up an idol, I wanted to take worship away from God. I coveted what belonged to him, and I brought it back to me. It was very interesting that covetousness could be found woven throughout the other commandments. So covetousness, I mean, to me, just like you mentioned capitalism, I look at somebody whose car is nicer and newer than mine, and I say, man, it's a nice car. Now, that's not coveting. But if, I, if that's all I think about, it's all I dream about, it's I plan and plot to get it. Now, I've coveted. But I think, let's say, for example, the success of another church. I look at their success and think, man, that's awesome. I wish I could have what they have. So I start modeling and doing everything they're doing. And I, I'm obsessed with being bigger than they are, as, as big as they are. And all of a sudden, I find myself coveting, thinking, 
well, it's not that big a deal. God doesn't care, but God does care. He put it in his top 10 list. And interestingly enough, again, it's woven throughout all the other commandments. So it's that one's an issue of the heart, not really an issue of the hands as much as this is who I am at my core. I'm not content with what God has done and given. I have to have everybody else's and God is telling me be content. That one hit me hard. Doesn't, uh, you know, famously, Jesus uh, raises the bar on adultery and says, you know, under the Mosaic law, you guys have these rules. I'm going to make a new rule for you. Right. And uh, it's it's going to be more difficult for you to attain. And in fact, you'll have to lean more on me to fulfill this word that I give you. Right. He does that for adultery. But doesn't, doesn't the New Testament do that for covetousness as well? Because under the Mosaic law, the 10 words, we get the idea of, um, all right, don't desire what someone else has. That's bad. But then in the in the gospel, we get prefer one another in love. So it's not <laughs> yes. only it's not only that I'm not supposed to be jealous of, of your ministry. But I'm supposed to be spiritual enough that I actually prefer that God would bless you and your church and your family. Yes. And myself. LJ, I'm not there yet. I'm I rejoice with you. Yes. I'm happy for you. But. I want good things for my family too, and for my church too. How do we, how do we approach the ten words in a way that they're life infused, rather than just guardrails? What, as you were praying through this, yes, how did it move you closer to the God of the commandments rather than just the commandments of God? I. I really believe the Lord spoke to me one day, and this was when I was going through this whole thing about I want a bigger, I want, I want the church to be bigger, and I want the church to do better, and all of that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but my thought was if we reach these people and these people start giving, and all of that is going to make it. And the Lord revealed to me, He is my source. People are not my source. If people come on Sunday, they're not my source. If they give on Sunday, they're not my source. If I have whatever I do have, whether it's money, car, house, whatever, they're not my source. He is. I have to be content in knowing that he's going to give me what I need when I need it. And I may not always get what I want. And that's okay. I, I have this guy who calls me from time to time. And I could do the voice because it's very discernible, but I won't. For the sake. <laughs> so he doesn't get embarrassed. But he calls me from time to time. And somehow he got my phone number. And he called one day and said, hey, do you know Brother Michael Lindsay? I said, I do. Yeah, he pastors just about 35 minutes away from me. He said, yeah, he was general youth president. He sure was. He preached at Youth Congress. He sure did. He said, does he have a large church? I said, yeah, he sure does. Is it larger than yours? I said, yes, sir, it is. Do you know Aaron Bounds? I do. He pastors about an hour 15 away from me. He preached Friday night at Youth Congress. He sure did. Preached a great message. Yes, he did. Does he have a large youth group? He sure does. Is it larger than yours? It sure is. And when I got off the phone, I thought, man, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> I mean, this guy, my daily dose of humility. this guy is a self-esteem booster. I felt like I had whatever self-esteem I had, just kind of like a balloon. When you pull all the air out, and it just <laughs> falls to the ground. But the Lord has helped me with that. My goal is not to be have a bigger church than Michael Lindsay, a bigger youth group than Aaron Bounds. My goal is to glorify God, make disciples in Mount Vernon with the people he has given me 
and people he's given me to reach, to feed, to minister to. And so when they have revival, it's hard to swallow, but I rejoice. I want to see them succeed because if I realize God is my source and we're in this together, it's not a competition. It really is. We complement one another. But that is a New Testament principle that is hard to swallow because I want where I am to succeed. But I have to remember God called me here and God is using me here. So if we don't grow as fast as they do, well, we are growing because they are growing. That's tough. Competition. Yeah, who's who's the team? And, and are we really family, or are we uh, Chevrolet dealerships? Uh, right. So, so I'm, I, I really uh, the dealership model of the gospel and the uh, the competitiveness. I'm. Uh, I won't pound the table and take the Lord's name in vain, but it it makes me <laughs> angry because I feel like it hinders it hinders all of us. It hinders those that we think are succeeding. We hinder it hinders those that we think are are failing. You know, Jesus called John the greatest prophet. Um, it looks like in Ephesus that after John's death, he had 12 disciples left. Now, some of those got subsumed under Jesus' ministry, but, sure, you know, 12 disciples in Ephesus. But Ephesus became the home of, of John, the beloved. It became uh, Paul's home for three years. It was, it was a landmark church. It makes the list of seven in Revelation. Um, it's a... It's it's just a it's amazing. Um it's it's amazing what the Lord uh what the Lord does through John. But just twelve people, but they do exactly what John taught them to do. When Paul comes and says, Hey, have you have you received this Holy Spirit? Well, how are you baptized? They do exactly what John told them to do, and that is right. go straight to Jesus. Right. Uh, right. Even even, you know, twenty years after his death. So how many of us 20 years after our death will have people doing exactly what we so Wow, that's I, you know, <laughs> how many of us 20 minutes after our message will have people doing what we preach to them to do? <laughs> well, I, 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 I told Jana this week, uh, my dear wife, I said, darling, you know, so many words, no matter what is accomplished, you know, 15 minutes after we have a 45 minute service honoring anyone, people are asking where they're going to go for chicken. And right, so exactly. it's, it's a, it, you know, impact and legacy it, it really has to be dependent on the Lord. And our personalities. It is. And, absolutely. And I love what you said about adultery. Adultery is a sin against everybody. Yes, sir. It's not just a sin against your spouse. It's not just a sin against your kids. It's a sin against everybody. How does disobeying commandments unravel a society? We talk about the, the individuality of commandments and works in terms of our own personal spiritual maturity, morality even our eternal destiny. But the, the words were given not just to individuals, they were given to a people. Yes, sir. And in fact, it was the giving of these words, and this is celebrated every year by Jewish people all over the world, Shavuot, which, which we call Pentecost, and we are Pentecostal people. Right. This is the corporate uh, effect of obeying these words or disobeying these words. Well, it is. You're exactly right, the unraveling of a society. The 10 words, and you may have this question later, so I apologize, but can be all boiled down to two words. Love the Lord your God with all and love your neighbor as yourself. If we don't love the Lord our God, we're going to be drawn away into immorality, which obviously breaks those commandments. If we don't love our neighbor as ourself, we'll be drawn away into selfishness where we start to steal and covet and commit adultery because we want what we want, not what we want. We want what individuals want, not what we as a nation need. So these commandments, each one of them 
is vital to making sure we keep this focus on, I need to love God with everything and I need to love my neighbor as myself. I was intrigued that the commandments to love God are only pretty much four in nature. And then the commandments to love one another are six in nature at the, toward the end of the commandments, which is interesting to me. It, it, what that tells me is it is harder to love people than it is to love God. God only says, these are four things that relate to your relationship with me, but there are six things that you need to remember and follow that relate to your relationship with each other. We have a very, uh, Pentecostals are strange, I think, because we have a very subjective spiritual experience. We are accused of, of hyper-emotionalism, <laughs> um, a surface viewing or hearing of our services would support that claim. Uh, if, if it's just a surface understanding. And yet we are, we're scriptural literalists. And so we, we claim to be people of the word as well. And we rejoice over the word. Within the broader community of Christendom, we are known for uh, exciting and, and revelatory preaching. Um, but that emotion of loving God and being people of the word, there's just a whole lot of horizontal relationship work that has to be done, right? I mean, yes, I went through James, I think it was last year with our people. And I basically, my takeaway message from the book of James is a thematic statement relates to what you're saying. And, and I think what James is on about for five whole chapters is that there's no such thing as personal piety without relational righteousness. That is so that, very true. Yes. That the, the vertical commitment to God must result in an expression with a commitment to others. Yes. How do we improve on that as Pentecostals? Because I got to be honest with you, LJ. I think we're having about the best altar services we can have. Yes, sir. Um, Understood. I, I don't think our singing is going to get any better. We can call right. some songs because they got some bad theology. And some of those are 250 years old, not just 15 days old. Sure. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not just going to bang on certain. Right. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's some really bad theology and some really treasured hymns, but sure. we could we could do a little better. I don't think our preaching is going to get a whole lot. Better. Uh, it's sure. JT Pugh told me it's better than it was in his day. And so I'll take that. That's um, a, yeah, absolutely. That's he a, wasn't saying it of my preaching. He was saying it of, our <laughs> of ours. So that's he, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and where we win, we win. <laughs> yes, we win, we win. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Michael. It's in air baths. Um, <laughs> how do we improve how we serve others? Because I, you know, I, I'm, I love our services. I love our gatherings. It, it's it's amazing. But how do we improve what happens when it's five minutes after the last quarter is struggling? Okay, so this goes back to what you just said a little bit ago concerning loving one another and all of that. If we we have no problem loving God. He's never hurt us, never wronged us. But we do have a problem with loving people. Okay. Scripture says if you if you can't love people, though, whom you have seen, you yeah. really true you truly can't love God whom you have not seen. So the way I the way I try and I I fail every day, but the way I try every day is I remember what Paul said, that we are a soul for whom Christ died. And even when I don't want to love people, I have to remember Jesus loved them enough to die for them. I should love them enough to live with them and live alongside them and worship with them. I do think as churches, worship is a, we love worship. 
because once again, he's never wronged us. Okay. But we're not so fond of fellowship because they did wrong us and they hurt us and they said something on social about us and they didn't say something. I love love fellowship as long as I get to choose who's my fellow. (laughs) Oh, that's a great, it's a great statement. So fellowship, our, our theology with that is I feel like we have made our own theology to salve that hurt by saying things like we sing used to stuff like me and Jesus. We got our own thing going. I don't need a stupid song. That is the worst. That is the worst so-called gospel song ever. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. I don't need anybody. I'm sorry. I, I hate that song. I hate that song, too, because me and Jesus don't have our own thing going. The pandemic taught me a lot of lessons. It taught me we can worship away from one another. It's not easy. It's not as easy, but we can. But we cannot fellowship away from one another. And just as key as worship was to the early church in in Acts chapter 2, fellowship and breaking of bread was just as key. In fact, it mentioned it twice. They fellowshiped and they broke bread together. There's no way to have a church without fellowship. In fact, at the end of 20, at the end of 19, I told our church, we have so many worship opportunities right now. We have Sunday morning. We have, we have Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning worship. Then we have Sunday night. Then we have Wednesday night. We have no space for fellowship with our church. So we started to build in spaces for fellowship because God convicted me that we love this relationship vertical, but we're not so good at this relationship horizontal. Two years ago, um, I read a statement which has really opened my understanding in a greater way. And it was worship happens in rows as we're looking at the back of someone's head. Fellowship happens in O's, circles. Oh, okay. That, that we need to see someone's face to fellowship. Yes. In worship, we're looking for his face. Yes. In fellowship, we're looking at the face of our, our brother, our sister, our person who might have annoyed us as you said and but but we need that we sure because, do because god uses that it's it's one of the things that you know i have been following the lord sometimes with a limp sometimes fast sometimes slow sometimes waywardly but attempting to follow him for a long time and i've been serving his church in some way for a long time but it's just over the last few years that i've stepped into a role of of leading a group of people um as a a a primary leader and one of the things that i learned in that transition was how important fellowship was to the body i you know i thought a successful church was basically structured around a successful worship service Mm -hmm. and i found out that there are actually 166 other hours in the week and people need fellowship yes sir Um, so so i've learned a bit a bit on that have you stolen any marshmallows or playing cards lately? This is an accountability question and intervention. How are you doing on your temptation to steal marshmallows and playing cards? You know what? God has helped me with that. He really has. I... <laughs> and your mother. <laughs> and my mom. My mom My mom opening up the back of that station wagon and just going, where'd you get those? It, it was the weirdest combination. <laughs> marshmallows and playing cards. I absolutely love it. If you're an elementary school student, and you go into Kmart, which God rest Kmart's soul. But you go into Kmart, I'm not coming out with marshmallows and playing cards. I'm coming out with a Hot Wheels car or something, something I can have fun with. But no, marshmallows and playing cards. I don't even know what we were thinking. But my sister and I stole them from Kmart. Thankfully, mom saw us. Otherwise, we'd probably have this interview and 
through the glass because I, I was, mean, you know, I was headed for of, a life of crime. A life of crime was avoided. Uh, God bless Sister Harry for, for, for that. Amen. She did. She intervened. Um, <laughs> Israel got 10 words. Egypt got 10 plagues. Wow, that's a great thought. So how, how do we as a I mean, it looks like to me, 2022 America, that we have a lot of plagues. Sure. I'm concerned that as the body of Christ, we're more interested in comparing plagues or um, saying your plague is worse than my plague. And <laughs> we're, I'm, I'm a little concerned that we're trying to be like, the priest of Jeremiah healing the wounds of our people lightly because I'm concerned that you can't unplague a plague <laughs> that yes. you, you, you have to go to the words to get rid of plagues. How could living out the 10 commandments change American society? You know, I'm going to vote. I'm going to, I'm going to, I might get on Twitter and even like something or dislike something. Um, I, I but, I just don't know in terms of civic solutions um, how invested I need to be. The words, though, have power that votes don't have. Yes, sir. I, and and I, 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 I'm not trying to make an either or straw, straw person argument here, but how can we more deeply invest in the 10 words? And not our 288 characters of, <laughs> uh, of, of our words. How, how can we get beyond poisonous discourse and get into healing discourse through the ten words? The first one is primary. Note that you worship the Lord your God; no other gods before Him. Not if there's a no, political party, because not I, I <laughs> believe it or not, not even a political party. Okay, not even the idea that government can solve our problems. Not even the idea that all the quote right candidates in office will make it all right because that's not true. The Lord has led me through, as I've studied scripture, the 10 words and others, he led me to this understanding that there could never be peace where there is not first righteousness. It's an interesting correlation. If you look throughout scripture where you find righteousness, you'll also find peace right beside it. And righteousness, vice versa. joy and peace is the kingdom of God and the Holy spirit. That's exactly right. And you'll find that where it speaks about peace on earth, goodwill toward men, there's there's there must be goodness and righteousness. And of course, the fruit of the spirit, there's righteousness and peace together where there is righteousness. There will be peace where there is not righteousness or where there's not understanding and obeying what God has commanded for us to, to be and to do to live righteously. There'll never be peace, no matter how many accords and treaties are signed. There must be righteousness. So my prayer is not just for the peace of Israel. My prayer is not just for the peace in America. My prayer is for righteousness. Righteousness will bring peace. Peace cannot bring righteousness because there's no true peace without true righteousness. Peace cannot bring righteousness. But righteousness does bring peace. You know, there's a there's a protester slogan. No justice, no peace. Oh, okay. There's a, there, there's a truth. There's a truth buried. There that. is a truth to that. Yes, sir. There, there is a truth. And, but Christ brings both. He does. He sure does. When we live him out, we, we show the world. Yeah. Um, 
What do you most want for your children? I want them to love God with all their heart and love their neighbor as themselves. I, I really just want those two things for the girls. You've brought the 10 down to two. Yes, sir. For, for them. Um, I've got a blank check here. It's drawn on the legacy bank of humanity and, and, and the kingdom of God. And it's written out to you. And it, it's a promissory note that can be cashed in 40 years. We're assuming the world's going to stand. And it is your legacy 40 years from now. I want you to fill in the blank. What's the legacy of LJ Harry? What would you like for it to be? I walked with God. That's what I wanted to be on my tombstone. If Jesus doesn't come before that, <laughs> that LJ walked with God. Walk with God. What does that mean for you to walk with him? Love him with all my heart. I have a close relationship with him. I can hear his voice. He can hear my voice. I know him. He knows me. He leads me through the times when the church is growing and booming and the times the church is shrinking and suffering, that I continue to walk over mountains, through valleys, I walk with God. And as I walked with him, anybody walking with me or following me walked with him as well. What have you learned in, in uh, just a few decades here? It's a brief life. Yes, sir. But you've, you've rounded the back stretch here. What have you learned about <laughs> uh, I've learned that I shouldn't take myself as seriously as I used to. Okay. I've learned that life is so very short. I've learned that God is not in a hurry. I have learned that while I... He does. He does, Dr. Jackson. While I was thinking about people and I'm praying, God, please heal them, save them. you got to save them. you got to save them. I prayed that prayer for my grandfather. My grandpa was uh, probably 50 years out of living for God. He was a, quote, good man. Just lived in the, in the southern tip of West Virginia, farmed for a living. But he walked away from God 50 years earlier. I prayed for him all the time. Never saw results. Three weeks before he died, he prayed back through to the receiving the Holy Spirit, repented, and God took him. My dad was in and out of church for years because of the stress of his business and all of that a week before he died. And I prayed for him all the time. A week before he died, he repented, prayed back through, and the next Sunday he was gone. God plays the long game. He's not in a hurry. I want people to be saved now, and he knows if they will be saved then. So while I'm anxious and worried, He's not so that I, I'm learning. He's not rushed. I shouldn't be. I should pray with fervor and urgency, but then I should leave the results to him. When you follow the commandments of God, you get morality. But when you follow the God of the commandments, mm -hmm. you get goodness. LJ, I, I just want to mark here today that for our listeners who are considering getting your book, they'll be receiving the words of a man who's not only moral, but a man who's good. Not just because of following rules, but because of following the ruler of heaven and earth. And we, I'm speaking now very presumptively on behalf of the body of Christ, we thank him. Uh, for this book we thank him for your ministry and we thank him for your life for the way that you love god the way that you allow that light to come through your stained glass and 
produce a prism of colors for us that throws the truth of his righteousness, joy, and peace into a, a beautiful, beautiful planoply of, of, of color. So thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you say. And thank you that you live in such a way that it amplifies and doesn't diminish that message. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. I have had a blast. Thank you for the <laughs> honor of getting to, to have this conversation. Would you take a moment and pray for our listeners? Um, would you take a moment and pray for our churches? Yes, sir. And would you take a moment and pray for our society? Yes, sir. That we would leave behind the plagues and we would cling to the words. Yes, that, sir. Uh, that we would be the people that truly love him and, and love one another. Yes, sir. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us your words. Thank you most of all for giving us yourself. Thank you, God. I pray, Lord, you administer to every one of the listeners, Jesus. all of us who want to know how can we love you, be closer to Jesus. you, know you more, Jesus, draw us closer to you, I pray. <laughs> Help us, God. May this be more than rules. May this be an opportunity to be in covenant relationship oh, with you. Jesus to know you, to be close to you. I pray our churches, Lord, would not be driven by rules, but would be driven by a desire to be close to you, to be holy as you are holy, to walk with you, to know you. May that be said of our society, that we would love you with all our heart, love you with all our soul, with all of our mind, all our strength, that we would love one another. God, I pray, give us, baptize us today with a love for each other. Baptize us with a love to bless one another, to minister to, to care for, to bear one another's burdens. Help us, Jesus, to love each other as you have loved us, to love each other as you love us. I'm asking you, Lord, bless your church with yes. a closer, deeper relationship with you and with one another. We would love worship. We would love fellowship. We would live our life for this holy cause of discipleship. We would follow after you, and as others follow us, they would follow you. Lead us closer to each other. Lead us closer to you, I pray in Jesus, Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 The book is Ten Words. Uh, it's by L.J. Harry. Highlights the Ten Commandments. Uh, erudite, playful, accessible, challenging, revelatory illuminating um, absolutely a, a devotional classic uh, a theological work of of importance you will want to have this book in your personal library go ahead and order three four copies you're going to want to share it with some of your friends it's available at pentecostal publishing house lj thanks for joining us thank you for blessing our listeners not only with your words but with your voice today god bless you sir thank you so much Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the Apostolic Review, please visit apostolicreview.com.